Well, hello and welcome to episode number 418 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's packed show, at Scandinavian Airlines files for bankruptcy and BA cut more flights. And there could be even worse for the UK's airports as we look at the worst UK airports for cancellations. And in the military this week, there's no military, but we have a very special segment indeed uh, that's been sent in to us by Armando for the show with an interview uh, that he done earlier this week. And uh, safe to say it's warm here in the PTUK studios. Good evening, everyone. Um, uh, Matt is not here. He's uh, off on location somewhere, sunning himself uh, in the Mediterranean. Uh, and, uh, and Armando put my teeth in. Armando unfortunately can't be with us this week as well as he is uh, well he's 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 flying doing what he does uh, best flying aircraft uh, but joining me this week on the show he's uh, well my my right hand man my first officer on the show this evening it's Neville Bounds yes evening to you matey and uh, hello everybody it's very warm out here that's for sure 28 29 degrees today um, and uh, I'm not complaining because it is the summer, but uh, gosh, but a sweltering one, and it's going to be uh, similar over the weekend, I understand too. So, barbecue opportunities, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, great to be back on the show. Lots of interesting stories, and one that I was sort of involved with myself as well, which we'll talk about uh, at the end of the commercial sector. Yes, and uh, we had a fantastic weekend uh, last uh, Sunday over at Seething. Uh, Nev, just uh, just for sort of the benefit of those who uh, may not have known what we were doing there, what what uh, did we get up to last Sunday? Oh, it was great. And well, firstly, the weather was perfect, so that was a good start, as it always is with uh, general aviation. Uh, Dan, who's one of our friends up at uh, Seething, very kindly invited us over for the fly-in uh, events lots of different aircraft but lots of the uh, rutan long easies as well um, i think it was about 10 or 11 that turned up in the end very unique looking aircraft you've seen dan's one already we've already done an interview with him previously um, so we took the camera gear and mics up there got some fantastic interviews with all the folks um, really interesting bunch of people and uh, the air traffic control guys as well um, which was really interesting so uh, we'll start to play those out from next week and uh, you will not be disappointed i can tell you we are delighted with uh, the content that we've got from seething this time around yeah we had uh, a very interesting chat uh, didn't we Nev with a couple who have, have flown uh, along easy it's safe to say they've, they've flown in well in more countries than I, I can name I think they've 20 23 countries I think they've flown uh, their long easy in and um, it, it had a, it had a few differences to the standard um, long e uh, long easy didn't they Nev? yeah they've got some uh, pods installed specifically for clothing and bits and pieces like that so it's a slightly modified aircraft um, which had to be certified correctly as well as i understand it um so but uh, no that's a fascinating story and we're going to be turning that into a three-part series actually. <gasps> three um, we've, uh, we've got lots to uh listen to them about um and uh, yeah really really pleased that uh, they were able to, to do that for us so that's all going to be beginning next week looking forward to that really looking forward to that, to that. Yeah. 
going to say a big hello to everyone who's joined us in the world of YouTube this morning. Don't forget, if you listen to us as an audio show and you wonder what uh, it's like here in YouTube land with the chat room, because the chat room are what makes the show on a Friday night. Uh, take yourselves over to YouTube, look for us, YouTube, and search Plain Talking UK. Don't forget to click that subscribe button and that bell icon to be notified when we're live and broadcasting shows just like we are now. And good evening to Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. Uh, we've got Richard Adams. Hello to you, Richard. Mazus Kareem. Hello to you, Mazus. He's enjoying the weather like we are here in East Anglia. Very nice and warm. Uh, we've got David Corston. Hello to Dave. David. We haven't seen David in the chat room for ages, uh, Nev. Um, good to have you back on board uh, Dirk, hello to you Dirk, wouldn't be the show without Dirk in the chat room hey, uh, we've got uh, to make sure I don't miss you on Masha, hello to you Masha as well good to see you in there, hope you've got the sunny weather your side of Europe as well uh, Hobby Time is in there, name change, he's changed it from GB's model zone to Hobby Time so hello to you Hobby Time Captain Ridiculous Wits <laughs> hello to you as well uh, Neville Bounds is obviously in there, wielding his blue spanner of doom which is always uh, good uh, and handy for those bots we'll w welcome them on the show later no doubt uh, arnie carlson hello to you arnie good to see you in there as well and also john jester our resident uh, 747 uh, cargo pilot there in the chat room good to see you in there as well this week john and uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in on this uh, friday night we've got loads to get through tonight including that all important um a uh, special interview that um, Armando done with some sim uh, platform uh, software guys. So that's very going to be very interesting. Uh, but we have got some commercial news to do, Nev. So if you are ready. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So this first story then comes to us from Forbes.com uh, and uh, we all saw this news this week. I think most of us saw this on the news feeds. All about Scandinavian Airlines filing for bankruptcy in the US as labour unrests add to the travel chaos. So Scandinavian uh, Airways, and uh, they're better known as SAS, the flag carrier of Denmark, uh, Norway and Sweden, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the United Kingdom uh, sorry, United States on Tuesday, uh, one day after a thousand of its pilots called for a strike. At the airline blaming pilots uh, union for disruptions and SAS they said will continue to serve its customers as normal, although the strike by SAS Scandinavian pilot unions will impact the flight schedule the airline has said in a statement this week. Uh, the airline is cancelling more than half of its scheduled flights adding to widespread travel disruption already occurring across Europe and as of 8am Eastern Time on Tuesday this week, SAS had cancelled 236 flights, a whopping 78% of its daily volume, according to FlightAware. Uh, in Norway, these include 21% of flights departing Oslo, uh, Gerdeman Airport, 16% leaving Tromso Airport, and 15% of flights uh, departing Trondheim and Kretisand Airports. 
and uh, Stockholm-based SAS said filing for Chapter 11 will allow it to reorganise its finances under a programme it's calling SAS Forward. Uh, nothing that business is in well. Advanced discussion with a number of potential leaders or lenders to obtain additional um, uh, money for its financing. Uh, looking for $700 million dollars in support for its operations um it's safe to say nev we this is not the first time we've seen an airline file for um bankruptcy in the u.s i'm trying to think which airline it was but i'm sure i've seen this before Nev. oh plenty um well this has been coming for a long time i think uh sas have been in trouble (coughs) excuse me for for many many years unfortunately um and just suffering really badly from uh, labour disruption, uh, pay awards, all kinds of things. Um, I really hope they get over this because it's actually a very good airline. I used to fly them a lot back in the day. I used to have an SAS gold card, in fact, I flew them so much. Um, but it's, there's been so much disruption lately. I really hope they can come through this because it's, it's just awful. Are they, uh, are they part of the... Um Star Alliance. Star Alliance. They are. Yep, yeah. they're a Star Alliance uh, airline. Yep, yep. Yeah, um, so, so uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> very unfortunate. But um, well, I hope that they will be able to work this out. Chapter Eleven. Uh, it must, they must have a separate U.S. entity, I would imagine. Um, just uh, allows the airline to real re reorganize uh, reorganize their finances and, and that kind of thing um, to uh, get the best return for the creditors and that kind of thing but yeah it, it's awful um, especially for the crews and all the people that operate it I I, I was under the impression Nev that that um, SAS was was a fairly um, grounded well established say grounded <laughs> forgive the pun a, a very well established um, airline. Well, it certainly is. It's a very uh, um, old airline in terms of how long it's been going for. But certainly since the late 80s, early 90s, there's always been problems with uh, disruption of some sort, um, uh, labour disruption and other bits and pieces. Um, so I do as I say I hope they do come out of this because it is, it is a really good airline. Uh, great, great service, great staff on board. But um, we'll have to see. We will have to see, won't we? But it's, um, I'm kind of not surprised, really, that they've done this. Mm. So, Nev, you have got uh, the next story, and obviously it's a BA story, and um, <laughs> I just hope this doesn't affect any flights in and around, <sighs> oh, September time this year? Yeah. Well, it's on skynews.com. It says that British Airways is to cut a further 10,300 flights until the end of October. Uh, I should actually read 10,301 for reasons which will become clear later on. Um, the airline says that it's acting to protect popular holiday flights from facing disruption, leaving 13% of its flight schedule for the peak summer holiday season on the scrap heap. The airline, amongst the worst hit by post-pandemic staff shortages, 
that have resulted in widespread disruption for passengers this year made the announcement just a day after another wave of cancellations was revealed in a bid to make the schedules more robust. BA told Sky News that it, the cancellations it was announcing to passengers on Wednesday, uh, covering the period from August to October, were part of a focus on protecting popular holiday flights. It suggested that destinations with weak bookings would be most likely to have flight frequency consolidated. However, there could be worse problems ahead for BA customers using Heathrow as they revealed that the latest cuts, uh, less than 24 hours before unions representing 700 of its check-in and ground handling staff at the airport, almost half of the customer-facing team there, were expected to reveal strike dates in a dispute over pay. However, we can reveal that they have now resolved that and there's not going to be a strike, which I think we're all very grateful of. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Um, Oh, it just goes from bad to worse, doesn't it, really? What's, what's, um, caused, what's causing all this, Nev, with BA? Well, it's, I think, the same problem with all of the um, ground handling and security folks as well. They, they, a lot of them were furloughed. Some of them were laid off completely. Um, and as we keep saying in aviation, there's not this magic switch to switch everything back on again. And so they've got to recruit new staff or rehire staff that were laid off. And this stuff takes time. Um, and the thing that is with BA, that the schedule is always a bit tight anyway. So if there's any kind of disruption with baggage, ground handling, weather, although less of a problem this time of year, things start to go wrong fairly quickly. So I think that they're just pairing stuff back to get them through the summer holiday period um, to, to try and make the schedules a bit more robust because uh, there's there's been some short notice cancellations going on lately as well I've noticed with them and that wasn't the case before because they were the, all the cancellations that I've had to deal with I've had about a month's notice usually but these have been um, a lot shorter notice period you, so. you've you've had a, a, a good sort of um, I say relationship you've had a good kind of um, thing with BA where you, you've had all your refunds and stuff you know fairly quickly yeah, it's not in the bank yet, but you know, at least they're processing it. And I've just mm. put in uh, another load um, for, <laughs> for what happened uh, the day before yesterday, uh, which we'll get to later. Oh, on. So, good! I'm looking forward to that, Nev. But, uh, yeah, so no, it's it's ongoing, I'm afraid. But at least they're trying to do something to yeah. sort out the summer schedule. But there will be um, continued disruption, I'm afraid. I think. Yes, and uh, moving on to the next story, Nev. Oh, blimey. It's uh, this one that's all about, uh, well, the worst UK airports for cancellations right now. This comes to us from the pointsguy.co.uk. And uh, I'm guessing that probably a few out of the chat room have probably been um, flown from some airport in either Europe or the UK in the last uh, month or so. I know Nev has, has flown from Heathrow to various points in the, in the U in Europe. But uh, let's see what how this uh, sounds uh, with you, Nev, see if it sounds good. So uh, a shocker then. So the first one on the list of the worst delays UK airports comes to us from Gatwick. Um, last month, 430 cancellations out of 11,298 scheduled departures, giving Gatwick a cancellation rate of 3.81% of all flights at the airport. Um, so fair to say that Britain's second busiest airport, 
uh, the which is Gatwick uh, figures to be near the top end of the table but when you consider Gatwick accounts for 14% of all British departures a 22.4% cancellation rate in June is disproportionately high let's have a look at the next one in the list is Heathrow June uh, Heathrow reported 352 cancellations out of 17,156 scheduled departures a cancellation rate of 2.05% uh, Heathrow accounted for 21.2% of Britain's departures and hosted 18.3% of UK's flight cancellations in June and uh, towards the end of June the airport even um, even well even reported um, that uh, the, the number of it ordered and the ordered it ordered cancel uh, airlines to cancel a number of flights as they buckled under passenger demand. Um, a large proportion of the cancellations at Heathrow were BA, sorry Nev, uh, which came uh, second on our list of worst performing airlines uh, back in June. Uh, next one on the list: Manic Manchester, Manchester Airport here in the UK, and Northerns. Uh, airport staffing troubles have been in the press a lot lately. Uh, eight, in April, firefighters were even drafted in to help unload bags from planes and to plug the staffing hole. Uh, the airport hosted 149 cancellations last month out of 7,799 scheduled departures in June, a relatively low cancellation rate of 1.19% uh, when placed in context of their schedule. Um, then there is... Uh, London City Airport, where 6.08% of 2,220 scheduled flights in June were cancelled. Uh, that represents 135 axed flights, or 7% of the national uh, average. At Super Stansted, uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, the best before, one of the best performers on the list, Stansted, London Stansted, uh, experienced an impressive 0.42% of cancelled flights, um, just as Gatwick's problems have a lot to do with EasyJet. Stansted's success may be linked to its close relationship with Ryanair, which uses the Cambridgeshire hub as its main UK base of operations. Uh, Ryanair has remained relatively immune to staffing issues. Uh, many affecting its rivals has managed to fulfil a relatively robust and cancellation light timetable. In fact, last week, uh, Ryanair boss Michael O'Leary said his low-cost airline had been completely unaffected by issues that impacted competitors because it saw the post-COVID recovery coming and brought staff back to work in anticipation. So a quick look then at the top 10. So Gatwick uh, was at the top of the list then with the most cancelled departures. Then Heathrow, Manchester, Bristol was in at number four. London Luton, 140 cancelled departures. London City Airport, 135 Edinburgh in Scotland, 97 cancelled departures in June. Uh, Glasgow Airport, 80. Birmingham, 47. London Stansted, 30. So, um, yeah, so it looks like Nev, the best airport to travel to in June, was Stansted. Yeah, gosh. Having said all of that, those cancellations, or uh, as bad as they might be, that's 1,921 in total for the whole of June. Now, I would be interested to know what the normal level of cancellations are, but um, that doesn't seem as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, but the, the trouble is, of course, I think it's going to carry on mm. for a couple of months in the summer as well. So, um, But, uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of evidence and plenty of 
people that have said to me their flight's been cancelled at short notice uh, and what have you. So, um, but yeah, I'm afraid uh, there is a bit more of this to come before we're we're back to normal. What do you think, Nev? A rough guesstimation as to how long this has got because I, I I can't see this getting better until after Christmas. I think to be back to the full schedule, it's going to be the start of next year. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think they're just going to have to pay stuff back because the trouble is, you know, once the the COVID thing, uh, I was going to say it's over, but it's not over because we know so many people that have got it now as well, um, that the desire to fly was greater than ever before. And therefore people started booking flights. Um, But that coincided with quite a big series of layoffs and furloughs going on and of course the airlines just just can't make it work and now one of the things i thought about this week actually nev with you doing all the traveling that you're doing at the moment for work and stuff and business is you know the issues we've got in the uk here at the airports and baggage and all the different various bits that are all piling up or you know being delayed in all the airports that you've flown to in Europe, is is it is it the same? Is it just the UK that's having this issue, or is it? No, not at all. Not at all. It's everywhere, really. Uh, I've been in Copenhagen this week. Um, saw a whole load of baggage piled up there. Uh, my colleague, who I work with, flies out of Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam very regularly. Uh, huge queues going out of the uh, terminal around the block. Um, I think it was early part of this week. Um, where else? Frankfurt, Charles de Gaulle in Paris, uh, Milan, Malpensa in Italy, all, all sorts of places. So major European airports, all of them have been affected by this. Um, and yet sometimes you can go through without a problem at all. The, the thing is, you, you can't really predict what's going to happen until you get there. Uh, I've seen lots of people on forums going, oh, what do you think T5 is going to be like at 8.30 in the morning tomorrow? I have no idea. Because some days it's absolutely fine and there's no queuing at all. Other days it's a, a, a car crash. Um, so, mm. yeah, uh, I'm not a betting man, but I would say the start of next year is when we're going to get back to some sort of normality. But I think some of the airlines might have to look at their flight schedules as well to actually have fewer flights. But of course, that does mean that the flights that are running are very busy. And that's not a nice experience either. Well, hopefully that seat 1A is um, is still uh, there, Nev. Oh, don't talk to me about that. More, more on that later? <laughs> I can barely speak. <laughs> oh, my word. Anyway, Nev, you've got the, uh, the next story. And um, <laughs> this was uh, quite an eye-opener, I must say, when I saw the pictures on social media. Yes, I mean, we hear about cutbacks in aviation, but this is probably taking it a step too far, I, I think. Uh, on the CNN travel website, uh, it says that an Airbus A380 flew 14 hours with a hole on its side. Uh, passengers travelling on an Emirates flight to Brisbane, Australia, were stunned when they noticed a huge hole in the side of the aircraft whilst they were disembarking. Uh, those on board the uh, A380 from Dubai to the Australian city became aware of the damage as they exited the plane following the 14-hour flight on July the 1st. Uh, images of the aircraft shared on social media reveal the extent of the puncture, uh, which was due to a ruptured tyre caused by a technical fault during the journey, according to the airline. I think that's a great description, isn't it? A technical fault. <laughs> Uh, one of the passengers on board has since taken to Twitter to describe the terrifying incident which took place during the cruise. It was absolutely terrifying at first 
and the cabin crew knew something serious may have happened. Uh, they were immediately in contact with the cockpit, wrote Andrew Morris, who's an English professor at the UK's Loughborough University. Shortly after they returned as normal, uh, their calm demeanour was reassuring. They knew it was not catastrophic. Um, well, commercial aviation uh, website Aviation Herald reported that the crews advised air traffic controls at Brisbane of the situation ahead of time and requested that the plane was met by emergency services on landing. Emirates later released a statement stressing that the rupture did not impact the fuselage, frame or structure of the aircraft. Uh, our flight EK430, fly, uh, flying from Dubai to Brisbane, experienced a technical fault, read the statement. One of the aircraft's 22 tyres ruptured during the cruise, causing damage to a small portion of the aerodynamic fairing, which is an outer panel or the skin of the aircraft. Uh, the airline went on to confirm that the aircraft had landed safely in Australia and the passengers had disembarked as scheduled. Damage to the exterior of the wide-body airliner has since been repaired. The fairing has been completely repaired, checked and cleared by engineers, Airbus and all relevant authorities, adds Emirates. Uh, the safety of our passengers and crew has always been our top priority. Uh, the incident came just days after the much-loved A380 Superjumbo, in decline prior to the pandemic, was giving something of a reprieve when German airline Lufthansa announced plans to redeploy the aircraft from summer 2023. Uh, the Airbus A380 has been on its way out since Airbus announced in 2019 that it was ceasing production of the airliner. Oh dear. Well, it's a bit of paperwork to fill out for somebody, isn't it? Um, yeah, I saw. Uh, we uh, we obviously haven't got Matt with us this week, so we uh, we're we're lacking a bit with the uh, pictures for the show this week. For those of you in the YouTube too, well, but um, there was a few pictures went on uh, on social mm. media on uh, aviationherald.com. Uh, com. There's some pictures on there of quite a large. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like a small um, hole at all. And yeah, there was a, a picture as well, Nev, of uh, of a landing gear tire as well, which mm. didn't didn't look uh, very uh, healthy as well. No, but um, anyway, the main thing is uh, there was no real operational problem with the aircraft during the cruise um well, i didn't notice i mean i'm surprised Nev. there wasn't like a, a wind noise for the passengers sitting mm. directly above where that hole was might have added to the fuel consumption slightly as well mm. possibly um but um yes i mean these these things happen but that's uh, an unusual one isn't it mm. i haven't seen that before so we're going to move on to the next story. This one comes to us from UKAviation.news. And uh, it's good news for those of you who might have the chance, I haven't personally, but to fly from uh, London City Airport. I haven't flown from there yet, Never I really want to... Well, no. apart from on X-Plane 11, but uh, that's a whole new story. Uh, London City Airport launches consultation on expanding flight hours. Uh, so London City Airport uh, is launching a 10-week consultation into expanding its times for operation uh, to meet the demand for post-COVID air travel. Currently, no departures are allowed from East London Airport between 12.30pm on Saturday and 12.30pm on Sundays. But the airport wants to change this so it can operate flights between 6.30am and 10pm on Saturdays. In addition, the airport also wants to double the number of flights between 6am and 7am Monday to Saturday uh, to 12 flights. 
the changes are backed by the airport's two biggest users, uh, BA City Flyer and KLM, and the airport has made it clear that it's not seeking to increase the annual flight cap, which is set to 110,000 flights a year. Robert Sinclair, London City Chief Airport Executive, said the strength of our rebound demonstrates the huge pent-up demand for travel and the need to plan responsibly for the future. London City Airport expects to handle 3 million passengers with a return to pre-pandemic 5 million by 2024. The moves are not without opposition, though. The airport is located in the densely populated Docklands area in London and the local airport expansion opposition group HACAN or H-A-C-A-N East said it will anger local residents. And uh, HACAN East Chairman Chair John Stewart said, Even since London City opened, residents have had a break from the noise between midday Saturday and midday Sunday. There'll be anger that the only break now will be for a few hours on a Sunday morning. Hmm. hmm. I don't know, Nev. It's. It's. I don't know. I. I don't know how long London City Airport has been. London City Airport. I'm guessing it's been there more than. 20, oh, twenty years. Yeah. Uh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think, Nev? I personally, for me, I couldn't give two hoots if there was an airport in my back garden. But you well, know, no, that's just me. Well, it opened in 1986, because ah. I know that, because I was working just down the road from there in Woolwich, actually, in 1985, and I joined a company down there, so uh, I do remember it was open just after I joined. Um, primarily, it was designed for business travel um, to the main connecting sort of economic cities in the Netherlands, Germany, France. Switzerland, but more and more uh, it's being used for holiday destinations as well. Um, I've certainly flown to Faro in Portugal from there uh, with Mrs. Nev back in the day. Um, I think it's a great little airport. It's very, very convenient for a lot of people. Um, it allows, I mean, there's no lounge there, but there doesn't have to be because the, the boarding is very, very efficient. And when you get off the aircraft, um, even with the current luggage challenges, um, you, you're through passport control and out the other end very quickly normally. So it's going to be one of those things, you know, you're going to have, it is, I mean, there's been a, a big increase in residential um, places around there in the last 10 years, certainly. Um, but also only the very latest aircraft um, can fly in and out because of the one is the noise criteria and the other is the five and a half degree glide slope which is the approach to uh, London City to avoid the buildings so uh, unlike a normal um, three degree glide slope which you would get on a, a normal approach uh, this is five and a half degrees so it's a lot steeper approach than normal but again um, that helps a little bit with the noise footprint um, and certainly when I've heard aircraft uh, departing from London City, I've been quite close up. Um, yeah, it's a little bit noisy, but you know, nowhere near as noisy as it would have been in 1986. Um, and uh, I think the first jet aircraft that was allowed in there was the British Aerospace 146. And prior to that, it was uh, Fokker uh, F27s and Fokker 50 aircraft that were using it, I think, as well. So, um, and the modern Embraer jets are, are, are very. Um, very quiet on departure i think but i don't live there so you know it's not um it, it doesn't affect me but, mm. 
Yeah. Be interesting to see what happens. And if, if yes. uh, people moan too much, then uh, it won't happen. But it's uh, nine times out of ten, the people who moan are the people who probably tend to fly on these aircraft to go on their holidays. That is it's possible. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, Nev, you've got the next story, and um, it's it's a milestone for a particular branch here in the UK. Yeah, uh, Carlos and I were discussing this before the show, actually. Really interesting. We didn't realise that uh, this organisation had been around for 100 years, and it's on the UK Aviation News. And it says that yesterday saw the 100-year anniversary of the Air Accident Investigations Branch, better known as the AAIB. And to mark the occasion... Um, the article here looks at when and how it was formed and what it does to make aviation safer for everyone. Uh, well, the AAIB started life on the 28th of June 1922 when the UK government formalised the Air Navigation uh, Regulation of 1922 under Section 12 of 1920 Air Navigation Act. Uh, the definition of an aircraft accident under the Act was an accident that caused death or injury to a person inside or outside of the aircraft or where the aircraft suffers structural damage. Uh, the remit is largely the same today, although slightly more refined and in line with other accident investigation organisations around the world. Uh, based in Farnborough in Hampshire, the AAIB is widely regarded to have led the way in modern uh, air accident investigations and the appliance of sciences to determine factual findings. It's important to note that the, it is not the remit of the organisation to apportion blame. It's simply to find out why the accident happened and make any safety recommendations it feels would prevent the accident from happening again. Over the years, the branch has dealt with thousands of accidents, but most relatively minor. But it has also had some high profile cases, such as the downing of Flight 103 over Lockerbie in Scotland, uh, the M1 plane crash at Kegworth, and more recently, which we've talked about on the show many times, the Shoreham Air Show crash. Uh, the first ever accident report from the AIB was published on the 26th of September 1922 by Inspector of Accidents Major Cooper. It's reported uh, on an accident involving a Vickers Vulcan uh, belonging to Instone Airlines Limited. It crashed after its engine failed over Tunbridge in Kent and the AAIB found that the aircraft had run out of fuel due, due to it being abnormally rich fuel mixture. Recommendations by the AAIB to the Civil Aviation Authority have resulted in modern aviation being one of the safest forms of travelling and its remit sees it continuing that process of cause and prevention with the future of aviation as well. Uh, the principles applied by the AAIB have also formed the basis of the Marine Accident Investigations Branch, which was formed in 1989, the Rail Accident Investigations Branch, which was formed in 2005, and are even helped, helping to shape the future of spaceflight regulations. So, very interesting. I always uh, look at the monthly reports, actually, of the AAIB, and just go to their website, just look it up on, on, the, on Google, it will show you where it is. Uh, they talk about ongoing investigations. They talk about the monthly bulletins, which are uh, completed investigations. And it's a really interesting read in, into um, how much depth they go into. And they do go into a lot of depth. I mean, you, you hear about a minor incident on the television and you look at the report and it's a 56-page report. Um, you know, so I find it fascinating myself mm. if perhaps... Um, not in very good taste perhaps but yeah I, I just like the way they they go about it and the way they um uh, go into so much detail 
So, uh, next story, let me just uh, bring this up here, is uh, all about an 86-year-old woman recognised as the longest uh, server. <laughs> what my background has just changed on here, Nev. Hmm. Um, <laughs> you can tell Matt's not here. Yeah. There we go. We've got the st- story behind me. I don't quite know what the story is there behind me, but there we go. This one's on the Fox 5 Atlanta website. And an 86-year-old woman has been flying regularly for nearly 65 years, was named the world's longest-serving flight attendant by the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, Betty Nash began her career on November the 4th, 1957, with Eastern Airlines. Her first day of work was exactly one month after the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite, and a year before the Boeing 707 would have officially enter service for commercial air travel. Uh, Through various airline mergers, Nash ended up at American Airlines in January and she was recognised by the Guinness Book of World Records as having the longest career as a flight attendant ever, achieving 64 years and 61 days of non-stop employment at the time of verification. Uh, She still serves as an active flight attendant with American Airlines and will celebrate 65 years in the fall. Uh, If you've flown... Uh, the airline itself, US, uh, yeah, oh, we're flown with us, she says. The chance are you might have met uh, the eight or hashtag AA team legend Betty Nash. Flying for 64 years, the longest flight attendant career in our history, American Airlines wrote in an Instagram post about her shared back in March 2021. Nash spent most of her career working on the New York to Boston Washington shuttle, which has uh, had her allowed to return home at night to care for her son, who has disabilities, ABC News reported. When Nash celebrated 60 years in 2017, cameras got to go on board, and she told uh, WJLA-TV when she first began her career they handed out cigarettes and matches after the meal service. Blimey, now, you'll get that on, BA. Uh, passengers also brought life insurance from vending machines before paying for their airfare on board. She said as well, when it started, uh, I think it was $12 one way, Nash told the local news station. What do you think of this, Nev? Absolutely brilliant. And it's so nice we can, you've set the studio up so we can actually read along with you as well. I know. Um, I'm, I'm just going to change that. So you carry on, yeah. Nev. Um, but uh, no, I mean, the, that's, uh, that's some innings, isn't it? My goodness. Um, clearly, she can still do the job because she has to be validated on the uh, aircraft every, is it six months or a year? I can't remember for cabin crew. Um, but yeah, what an extraordinary uh, lady. And uh, But... Yeah, you would think the fatigue of it all would uh, would take its toll, but clearly she has enjoyed it um, for all this time, otherwise she wouldn't be doing it. Hmm. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, Nev, you've got the next story. Well, actually, I was going to ask whether you could do this next one, um, because I was going to do story number nine. Oh, okay. I'm just... uh... Just, uh, I'm just seeing if I could change the actual background. Oh, I see. Ah, right. <laughs> uh, well, I can do this one if you want, if that would help you. Uh, yeah, if you could. I'm yes. going to just get to the b- yeah. back at the bottom of this uh, issue. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, this is uh, an interesting one. It's on theguardian.com. Uh, it says that Spanish fight, uh, fighter plane intercepts EasyJet flight after false bomb threat. An EasyJet flight was intercepted by a Spanish fighter plane after a bomb threat was allegedly made by a British teenager on board. 
Video footage taken by a passenger on the commercial flight appears to show an F-18 fighter warplane flying closely behind the EasyJet flight from London Gatwick to Menorca on Sunday. Uh, the Civil Guard confirmed that Menorca's airport control tower was alerted to a bomb threat made on social media by an 18-year-old British man, prompting a special operation to be organised. Uh, once the uh, plane landed, landed in Mahon, the uh, sorry, Mahon, the uh, uh, island's capital, the flight was taken to a separate area for the main terminal and was subject to bomb disposal, uh, disposal experts and sniffer dogs. Uh, the Civil Guard have since concluded that the bomb threat was false. Uh, the 18-year-old has since been arrested and is expected to face a bill which would cover the costs of the police operation. Uh, a spokesman for the Civil Guard said uh, the Civil Guard has arrested an 18-year-old British national as the alleged author of a crime of public disorder in Marne in Menorca. Yesterday the control tower at Menorca airport was alerted to a bomb threat on a plane heading from London to the island's capital which was still in the air and nearing the airport. The threat was said to have been sent on a social media platform. Uh, once the plane landed it was taken away from the uh, taken away to, to, from the main terminal and all other aircraft. The passengers were disembarked and established protocol followed until police were able to confirm it was a false bomb threat and the person responsible was identified on social media along with five other companions as witnesses. Uh, they were taken to a police station so officers could clarify the situation. An EasyJet spokesman said EasyJet can confirm that flight EZY8303 from uh, London Gatwick to Menorca was escorted by military aircraft whilst landing in Menorca and delayed disembarking due to precautionary security checks. The safety and security of its passengers and crew is always EasyJet's highest priority and we'd like to thank passengers for their understanding. Well, you should probably get a bill for the um, F-18's fuel as well, I would have thought. Um, which, will, which will be a few quid, I think, Nev. I mean, I thought we'd stopped all this business, but there's still people out there that um, still think it's uh, amusing to do this sort of stuff, and it most certainly isn't. It's highly irresponsible, and um, I mean, A, thank goodness that everybody was okay, and B, um, thank goodness that he was uh, caught in the act, as it were. Um, but awful absolutely awful um so uh but thank goodness everybody's okay um but yeah i hope the um the court and the judiciary throw the book at him i really do fingers crossed nev so nev do you want to take this uh this next one then because we this this is uh where are we this is the one about a certain uh video haven't we nev that uh yes. goes with a with a certain event that happened to you this week. Well, there I was, waiting for my aircraft at Copenhagen Airport, um, coming back this week. Um, was going to leave on Wednesday... No, let me get this right. Uh, going to leave on Tuesday evening. Is that right? Where are we now? Friday. Yes, Tuesday evening. Uh, no, sorry, it was Wednesday evening, and it came back on Thursday instead. That's right. Um, well, what happened was uh, an aircraft, which was an A320... Uh, Golf uh, Echo Uniform Uniform Victor. Um, I, it actually was pulling on to stand and was immediately met by a lot of fire engines. Um, and we were at the gates, and so we could see right out of the window um, what was going on. And it turned out that there was a hydraulic leak on the left-hand side, which went on to some hot brakes 
and caught light. Now the uh, airport fire service were there very sharpish, um, but honestly, it took them. I mean, this thing would not go out, and I would imagine even with the hydraulic system isolated, so it wasn't under pressure anymore. Well, it was no longer pressurized, but. I mean, when it is pressurised, I think it's about sort of 3,000 psi or something. So this thing was, you know, really coming out a bit of a stream. And um, I think they managed to contain the fire into the brake and wheel area. Um, so it took them probably 25 minutes to put it out and another 10 minutes of damping down. Um, needless to say, this flight was cancelled. We were not going to get on it. Um, to go back and actually there's a bit of video here which has been very kindly provided to us by uh, Gabe Goodjill who was actually sitting in the, um, ga the gate area with me and you can actually see some of the action here we go Carlos can play the uh, play the VT yeah this is probably after about um, 15 minutes into it I would say something like that um, so uh, yeah there was no shortage of people turning up that's just a snapshot of, of some of what happened there but there was cars and vans and trucks and other firefighters coming uh, the whole time but as you can see there it's still uh, smoking away and um, yeah could have uh, lit up again but um, so that was it so we weren't going to get on that plane <laughs> obviously and I think that foam is quite corrosive as well so uh, obviously the plane has to be fully cleaned and well there's obviously some remedial work required there I would have thought um, so a couple of things I would say about this obviously we could see what was going on the whole time um, but it would have been good for the gate agent to have done a PA to say ladies and gentlemen you might have noticed that your aircraft uh, may not be serviceable immediately would you mind just bearing with us um, but we were there for an hour and 20 minutes without any PA from the gate so let's uh, say luckily we could actually see what was going on anyway the captain first officer uh, came in uh, but what they did do I think because I think because this has happened literally as they were turning on to stand they evacuated the aircraft on the normal pier but clearly they told all the passengers to get off the aircraft quickly and not to take their bags with them. And they didn't. I think this is the first time in history where a plane's been evacuated where the uh, bags were left behind. Um, so uh, then about 30 minutes after the fire brigade had given the all clear, they were allowed back onto the aircraft to collect their bags, uh, the carry-on bags, that is. Um, so they were going back in groups of... 10 to 15 i would say something like that um, anyway so that was all uh, good um uh, but then luckily the captain came on to the, uh, took the initiative and came onto the gate pa and explained just what i've just said they had a hydraulic leak uh, as they turned on to the stand um and then it set light to the uh the wheel area where the disc brakes are um and it went up like a firework um, so uh, um, so then they said right well we're going to put you in a hotel for the night um, and would you like to go to the men's aviation desk and blah 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 because we had to go through passport control again oh, so we've got dear. another two stamps in our passport without actually going <laughs> anywhere um, but my colleague Paul and myself 
were wise to this. So we thought, right, we're not going to wait for BA to put us up in a hotel. We're going to go steaming out the terminal as fast as we can. And we knew that there was a hotel directly opposite the terminal called the Clarion Hotel. And we just went straight in there and booked ourselves in. And luckily, there was some rooms left. Um, it wasn't the most favourable room rate, but then... If you just turn up without any booking, it, it won't be, will it? So, um, so it was a, <clears throat> a 24 hour delay um, and we've just been filling out the compensation forms and all the rest of it. Um, and then we were put on a flight yesterday, which was supposed to leave at quarter to two, actually left at quarter to three. Um, but they put it on a 321, so it was a slightly bigger aircraft so we could all get back. Um, but we were downgraded from the business class section to the economy class section. Oh. I'm saying no more about that. It upsets me too much. <laughs> so seat, seat 1A was uh, was out of order Well, obviously then. it was occupied by someone who had already, it was already booked on the aircraft, I, I would imagine, you know. Um, but uh, <clears throat> no, there was, there was a few um, uh, misquotes, I would say, in the press, because this one was from... Uh, airlife.net so we, we made it onto their website um but um yeah a few people said it was an engine fire but it wasn't actually it was just the hydraulic fluid uh, leaking onto the hot brakes um but um yeah that was um an interesting day out that's for sure um so uh yeah it's just a question of filling out all the forms now well actually i've filled out most of them just gotta wait and see what happens so we'll um we'll see but no it was a really uh interesting experience i mean i say everybody was fairly sensible on the gate a couple of people were getting stroppy um but they needed to take a sensible pill because they could see what was happening um i think there was talk at one point that ba thought they might be able to fly another aircraft out of heathrow um but that didn't happen they just made the decision to hotel us overnight and try again the next day how easy is the, is the, the 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 process now for when you file a you know a claim with BA? Is it a, a case of ringing up a form or, or or what what is it? It's not bad actually. Um, that you just have to explain the circumstances, put your flight details in, and your booking reference, um, and um, you know you keep the receipts and all the rest of it. And I think you have to be reasonable. I mean, we had a a few beers in the bar. Um, of course it's in Denmark and that's not a cheap experience but I decided I wasn't going to put all of that through I put a, a couple through for myself and my colleague um, and the meal that we had um, but yeah I think you've got to be sensible about this sort of thing so there was the hotel cost uh, an additional parking cost for me at Heathrow because I was I'd overstayed my welcome by over a day um, and other bits and pieces but it, it's fairly straightforward then they send you a confirmation number and then you have to wait um, now the Faro flight that lost my bags the other week, um, they haven't refunded the money yet, but they said it's on the way and allow 14 days for it. So I'm, I'll wait 14 days before I make any complaints about it. Um, but of course they're a bit busy at the moment. There's lots of people doing this, um, and there'll be 170 or 180 people on that E320 that'll be doing the same thing, let alone all the other stuff around the world. So, um. But no, the, the, the web interface is okay. Um, but it, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but there was a lot of people on our flight who may not have been internet savvy, um, who were you know quite elderly, um, travelling on their own. So they would have needed help from their 
uh, adult children to have helped them do this. I mean, but frankly speaking, everything is online now. And now for, for most people, that's not an issue at all. But it's, it is uh, complicated if you've not got access to a computer and the internet and, and that kind of stuff, which I, which I know is sounds a bit odd, but there will be people around that just don't have, that don't do the internet at all. Hmm. So we uh, have got, uh, that's the last bit uh, of the commercial news. Thanks for that, Nev. Uh, while Matt's frantically trying to sort out this play mix for, it's a vmix system for me. <laughs> no. But we have, uh, we have got a video actually. And uh, it's, uh, it's a, a flight that uh, apparently, well, a flight that happened uh, with uh, Megan, actually, uh, Karen, you know, Armando's uh, glorious other half. And it's mm. a video and I'm just going to gra grab this video here from the list here uh, for you to watch. And uh, here we go. It's a video with a Sturman flight, her first Sturman flight. So here we go. We're going to play that right now. I think she is flying that Nev. Looks like it, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. How exciting. Yeah. What? Oh my god. Oh. Wow. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Honestly, Nev. A Boeing Stearman. Uh, that is that's on the list. I've seen them up at um, old Buckingham Airfield, the yellow yeah. one they've got there. And that's one of those aircraft I'd love to have a go in. But mm. um, great little video there. Yeah, oh, superb. How's your camera doing, uh, Carlos? Um, a few issues. There's a few issues there. I'll uh, pop me up there. There we go. I'm so I'm still here. Just oh, well. I've just, just lost just lost the green screen behind. But well, we won't worry about that. Yeah. And uh, well, it's uh, time for actually we will do our caption this at the end of the show. <laughs> Um, because we'll try and get this other, the technical bit sorted out between now and then. Uh, but we have got a special video to play out uh, from Armando as an interview. Uh, but first, we've got uh, this uh, first video uh, to play from Armando. Hey guys, I'm really excited about this next interview that we're going to have. On last episode, we started talking about some of the additional software programs that you can add on to your flight simulator, whether that's uh, Flight Simulator 2020, FSX or X-Plane, uh, talking about some of the air traffic control add-ons. Now, one of those services that we talked about was Pilot Edge. Um, we're running this instead of military segment this, this week because Pilot Edge is actually running a special where you have two weeks for free or five hours, and they're doing something that is very unique in preparation for Oshkosh. But before we talk to Kevin from Pilot Edge, we're going to play this video right here. Oshkosh Regional Airport in Whitman, New York. Yeah, so there's two out of two, the wind is calm, the feeling and visibility. The big gap I had to push, came off the railroad track. Rock your wings. 
Runway 7, a good run. Uh, I'm going to put you on runway 36 right. Runway 36 right. Clear to land on the red square. A right turn eastbound now. Start that right turn eastbound. You're going to 1A. Follow that east-west road. Good job. Oh, you the man. Second aircraft, runway 36 left. There's a takeoff. Right turn 15, right or below 1,300. Follow the road. Next runway 27. Down on the side of the ground. Mid march right now, 1.5. Turn the base, crank it around, crank it, crank it, crank it. Start that right turn for me right now. Crank it around, we're gonna aim for the orange dot and we're gonna keep it airborne to the green. White and black, straight, fast. Pass the guy ahead and off your left, then gear down, slow down. You're clear to land, that'll be off the blue dot on one right. Start your base turn now. White Cessna, turn right for the downwind, you're flying to brown Cessna, wing up right base. Great Grumman, turn your base now, turn your base now, tight turn, tight turn all the way around to the green dot. Crank it, crank it, crank it. I need you to point at that orange dot. I need you to go right to the orange dot. Harder, harder, harder. Keep it airborne until you're on the green dot. Set it down on the green dot with a right turn into the grass. Very good, Rock on Mom, Mom, it's just Alan Welcome to the show. Clear to land, honor after the green dot. Right turn into the grass. Follow the flagman, ask for the note, and welcome to Oshkosh. Rock your week. I'm not going to lie, Nev. When I see things like that, it kind of makes us going to go and spend loads more money on on aviation stuff bits and pieces yes. well yeah um <laughs> i think it, uh, captain l was w listening to that who's a stickler for standard ico uh, atc uh, um an rt phraseology uh, I'm not sure he would have been impressed with crank it crank it crank it um but uh, nonetheless that's what they do there and um it's very realistic too wasn't it I know the graphics and stuff. Um, the graphics and stuff are just absolutely amazing. Now, I, this is why I'm looking forward so much to X Plane 12 coming out when it does do um, this year. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it's supposed now, to be out this year. Would you have to have a, a major PC upgrade in order to run all that? Uh, do you think, or have you got enough horsepower? Well, I, I was looking into this, and the, and the spec level for X Plane 12 is. It's it's high. There's no doubt about that. The graphics um, are quite intense for the for the scenery and stuff. I can run it. I will be able to run it. I'll probably be able to run it. Probably run about three quarters of its full, uh, you know, graphic intensity with the settings. Uh, at the minute, I'm running X Plane Eleven with full full pelt. But this, I'll probably have to crank this back a little fraction without actually upgrading my graphics card, which um, I can do. Um, yes. It's not a cheap job, but I can do. But I, I, I really strongly think, and I do strongly believe, and I've seen them both. Obviously, I play x 11 up, and I've seen, obviously, Microsoft Flight Sim, the new, the new one that came out a few years back. I've seen them, and, I, and from what I've seen from x 12, I really do think there that uh, x 12 is going to kill Microsoft Flight Sim when it comes out. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, can I just apologise to the listeners for the audio quality, uh, which seems to be going out on YouTube from Carlos's mic at the moment. It almost sounds like you're not using the studio mic, but there's something oh. else going on. But, uh, really? Is that... But, well, I, I, I can hear it okay, but it's just sound, it just sounds a bit odd on that... YouTube, that's all. Oh, okay. Anyway. Well, we have got a special video to play, interview video to play from Armando. He's very kindly put this interview together uh, with uh, Pilot Edge. Uh, so we're going to play that for you now. It's uh, a very, very good interview, this one. So sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy this interview. 
Hey guys, I'm really excited about this next interview that we're gonna have. On last episode, we started talking about some of the additional software programs that you can add onto your flight simulator, whether that's uh, Flight Simulator 2020, FSX, or X-Plane, uh, talking about some of the air traffic control add-ons. Now, one of those services that we talked about was Pilot Edge. Um, we're running this instead of military segment this, this week because Pilot Edge is actually running a special where you have two weeks for free or five hours, and they're doing something that is very unique in preparation for Oshkosh. But before we talk to Kevin from Pilot Edge, we're going to play this video right here. Adventure, beautiful day here at the Oshkosh Regional Airport at Whitman Field. Yeah, so there's two dotted attitudes, the wind is calm, the feeling, and the visibility. So, the Runway 7, a good run. Uh, I'm going to put you on runway 36 right. Runway 36 right, clear to land on the red square. A right turn eastbound now. Start that right turn eastbound. You're going to 1A. Follow that east-west road. Good job. Oh, you the man. Second aircraft, runway 36 left. There's a takeoff. Right turn 15, right below 1,300. Follow the runway 27. Down on the center, come a bit. March on that 1.5. Turn the base, crank it around, crank it, crank it, crank it. Start that right turn for me right now. Crank it around. We're going to aim for the orange dot, and we're going to keep it airborne to the green. White and black, straight, fast. Pass the guy ahead and off your left, then gear down, slow down. You're clear to land, that'll be off the blue dot on 1A right. Start your base turn now. White Cessna, turn right for the down one. You're flying to brown Cessna, wing up right base. Great Grumman, turn your base now. Turn your base now, tight turn, tight turn all the way around. Crank it, crank it, crank it. I need you to point at that orange dot. I need you to go right to the orange dot. Harder, harder, harder. Keep it airborne until you're on the green dot and set it down on the green dot with a right turn into the grass. Very good one on Monitor Calendar 118.5. Welcome to the show. Clear to land, honor after the green dot, right turn into the grass. Follow the flagman, ask for the note, and welcome to Oshkosh. That's a pretty awesome video, guys. Here I am joined by Kevin from the Pilot Edge team. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I So based on the Sem Venture event, I, I can only imagine that you guys timed it perfectly so people get the practice to go into Oshkosh on a sim, right? <laughs> yes, yes. The timing is no accident. Um, but yes, it's uh, yeah, it's about uh, seven to 10 days before the actual Air Venture event um, put on by EA up there in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And uh, the like you mentioned, the primary primary goal is to allow people to practice ahead of time before they actually fly up there. But a great byproduct is that uh, just you know people who aren't afforded the opportunity to fly up to AirVenture themselves, um, whether they don't have an airplane, they live you know out of out of the country, whatever it might be, they can still enjoy uh, from a flight simulator uh, what Oshkosh has to offer as far as the fly in and fly out goes. Yeah, I know. But in the majority of pilots around the world want to go to Oshkosh. What a, this is a great way to do it, especially with the, the visuals nowadays in the flight simulators. Isn't it? Yes. And then really the icing on the cake is the actual air traffic controllers that, that we have. Um, you know, every uh, pilot edge every day is, is obviously the, the pilot edge uh, controllers who are a mix of backgrounds. We can get into that a little bit later, but the controllers for AirVenture are the real people who work in the tower and on at Fisk Approach for the actual AirVenture. Um, uh, the controllers for SimVenture are the actual AirVenture controllers. So uh, we're we're honored to have that group from uh, from AirVenture joining us and and volunteering with us to do that. And they just do it really because they love it um, and they 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 appreciate and they believe in the mission that we're going after, which is to 
create a safer air venture for everyone, a more proficient uh, user base for pilots yeah. as well. So how did this all come about? This was, is this uh, been years in the making? Is it somebody came up with a, a napkin idea so, at a diner? <laughs> <laughs> SimVenture is, uh, so this is year three actually of SimVenture. Um, SimVenture was born in 2020. Uh, the idea was actually pre-pandemic that we had the idea. Uh, Pilot Edge is, is uh, this is actually, we're, we're in our 10th year of Pilot Edge. So at the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were about seven years into the company and and uh, I kind of, I went to the founder and CEO, Keith. Um, I do all the marketing, by the way. I'm, I'm the director of marketing and special projects is my title. And I went to Keith Smith and I said, hey, you know, I think we've got the, you've got the talent and the user uh, and the knowledge and the technology, most importantly, the technology really, uh, to do a, a virtual Oshkosh. And, um, you know, he said, okay, you know, go ahead and run with it and see what you can do. So <laughs> We, uh, we, we developed a little kind of beta team um, of, of some of Pilot Edge's most frequented pilots. And um, we did some testing because one thing that Keith and, and I were both on the same page of, we didn't want to, we didn't, we needed to do it right. We didn't want to do it in a way in which it would be embarrassing or, or just fall short of people's expectations. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyways, mid all that testing and things, the pandemic hit. And um, that really didn't affect Pilot Edge at all. It actually kind of grew the business, really, because people needed a way to practice when their flight schools were closed. Um, but what did happen is that EAA um, canceled AirVenture 2020. And when that happened, uh, it was kind of like we looked at each other like, "Man, we this is on us now. You know, we have to we have to kind of keep this you know keep this legacy going." And you know, it it, it had been uh, AirVenture had been going for decades and decades before that every single year. And of course, the pandemic was, you know, no one saw it coming. And it was, it was something completely uh, you know, that, that just caused such a, a strange situation. But um, so it was really on us. And we said, you know, we're just going to run with this. And, and it worked out great. We allowed, uh, it, you know, that year we were really the only way that you could fly the Fisk arrival. Mm-hmm. For those unfamiliar, the Fisk arrival is, a, um, is the charted, well, not really charted, but it's the uh, procedure outlined in the notice, no longer called it NOTAM. Uh, this year, the AI has changed it to a notice, and um, it's a specific arrival procedure that really is the reason that the arrival is so complex and so exciting is because of this Fisk arrival. Um, so anyways, it, a great year 2020 was uh, a great event, I should say, um, and for uh, in, in July of 2020 that we held. We were actually a, a part of EAA's Spirit of Aviation Week, which was their virtual Oshkosh. Um, they had virtual webinars and still workshops, things you'd see at, at the actual Oshkosh air show. Um, and then so 2021 comes around and we said, you know, this was such a great thing last year. We need to do it again. People were asking for it. And we said, OK, well, we're going to kind of shift from a nostalgic um, you know, this nostalgic approach we had in 2020, which was everyone is locked in their house and and no one could do anything fun to in 2021, when, you know, AirVenture was was happening again, we said, well, let's make SimVenture kind of more of a practice event, a training event. And, um, and so that's exactly what we did. We, we kind of shifted it to, okay, we're going to have this a week or two before AirVenture. We're going to market it to people who are flying to AirVenture and, um, and give people a way to practice because it doesn't really matter if you are a veteran and a seasoned air venture uh, pilot, or if this is your first time, uh, it's a very unique and unusual procedure. Mm -hmm. This Fisk arrival, Uh, that's not to, it's not to say it should intimidate people, but it's something that um, you really should try and practice ahead of time. And there's no way to practice this in the real airplane. Even if you were to fly up to Oshkosh, uh, you know, several weeks before the air show, um, 
you can't just fly the Fisk arrival. It's uh, you know, it, it, the controllers are, <laughs> it's real airspace. You know, it's just, yeah, it is. It, it's just a, it's just a class Delta. You know, you, when you call inbound, it's because they make straight in runway three, six. Um, and uh, they're not going to tell you to rock your wings. They're not going to tell you the Fisk Ave transition, follow the railroad tracks. Those are things very specific to air venture week. So um, anyways, we, we had a great event last year in 2021. Uh, same same sort of deal, except we you know we did up it a little bit. We allowed uh, instead of so the first year we just allowed pistons on the Fisk arrival. So then last year in 2021 we allowed um, turboprops, which fly an arrival called the Warbird arrival, um, that comes in kind of from from the south southeast. And then uh, we also opened up Fond du Lac Airport, which is a neighboring um, usually non-towered airport, but they do put a temporary tower there for AirVenture. So we did the same. Um, and then this year, it's going to be very similar to last year, except we're also allowing small jets. Um, so kind of the small jets, you typically see a uh, single pilot, more or less. Um, the cutoff is going to be a maximum takeoff weight of 18,000 pounds or less. So basically, that's going to get you your premier jets, your small citations, um, kind of cuts off right around the year 35, 45 series. So we're excited to see some of those um, coming in to SimVenture as well. It'll help um, create a more diversity of airplanes around people within their Sims and also allow people that if they are planning to take their Cirrus Vision Jet or their Premier Jet in their single pilot, um, and it's all VFR, our event, I should say. And then most of AirVenture is VFR too. You can fly mm-hmm. IFR into AirVenture, but you need a slot. So you end up still getting a lot of jets coming in VFR because it's just easier and you don't have to have a reservation or anything like that. So it's, um, yeah, it'll be great fun this year. We're also adding um, prizes. So uh, we have a, a, a prize pool worth over $2,500. Um, the big ticket items in there include a Bose A20 headset and a... Um, uh, some yokes from Honeycomb and Thrustmaster, and uh, also a, an Airbus Captain's Pack from Thrustmaster as well. So, uh, as well as some other little little items in there. So, all you got to do to to win is this just is the, fly. This is the Airbus Captain's Pack right here, oh, go, and the Honeycomb Bravo is sitting right here. There so, those are outstanding prizes. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're they're great products, and and we're really thrilled to have our our sponsors um, supporting us with SimVenture and. So yeah, the, the way to, to enter to win, you just have to fly. Um, the entries will be counted every time you take off and land at Oshkosh, you get an automatic entry up to 15 times. So the whole purpose behind the event, we run it four days, July 15th, I'm sorry, July 14th through 17th um, for about uh, three to four hours each day. The times and dates are published at piloteedge.net slash SimVenture. And so you can, um, the, the, you can fly as many times as you want um, throughout the event. And so the whole point is, you know, you're, for one, let's say, just take the Fisk arrival. You're going down railroad tracks and one time you might be told to take the Fisk Avenue transition. And the next time you might be told to take the railroad track transition. Um, furthermore, we do different runway flows. We don't always use the same runway. So your experience is likely to differ each time you go down the tracks um, for the Fisk arrival. That's why we encourage you to do it so many times is because then you're just going to be all the more prepared for when you do it in the real world. And um and you'll you will have felt like you've done it before. Um, talking to what could be the exact same controller that you talked to ten days prior in SimVenture. Yeah, and you you've got a couple points in there that I was just taking some notes. Um, so so I'm going to start out with with this is the difference between Pilot Edge and some of the other mm-hmm. um, ATC providers. So you you're talking about um, light jets with a maximum. A takeoff weight of eighteen thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. So, so that that is that is already putting a, a sort of a different level of sim user out there, right? So now now you have to know a little bit about your airplane. You have to know a little bit about how to fly it. You can't just uh, 
Leroy Jenkins it, you know, <laughs> right through. So totally. And we, we do provide a list too. It's, I don't, you know, you don't have to go up and you don't, you don't have to necessarily know the, um, you know, the, your, your weights by, by heart for, mm-hmm. you know, airplanes, but you know, you can also just Google what is the max takeoff weight of a, you know, Sirius vision jet. Um, if it's less than 18 or you know, 18,000 pounds or less, you're good to go. But we also yeah. will provide a list um, that'll be linked through the notice. So you can go make sure the airplane that you want to fly is on there. It- and th- so what, what happens when, when things go off script, right? So the, the whole purpose of this is a little mm-hmm. bit of training, a little bit of realism. Um, and one of the, one of the huge advantages to pilot edge is the ability to do things from the safety of your home office or your home simulator. Mm-hmm. So what happens um, when you don't get it quite right, or someone doesn't quite follow the instructions. So as opposed to trading paint in the air, in the real world, how, how do you guys sort of foster that, that gentle training, that gentle correction? That's a great question. And, um, the, the, it's a different answer between sim venture and everyday pilot edge. And I'll cover both. So Mm -hmm. starting with sim venture, um, in, in 2020, the first year that we did sim venture, uh, I warned the the controllers. I, I worked with each controller individually to get them, you know, kind of set up. I didn't have to train them. Of course, they already know how to do the job better than me, but uh, to get them set up with the pilot edge network, get their account, their username, password, all that, um, and get their headset working. And so I talked to them individually. I said, you know, we don't know how this is going to go. I said, you know, we've, we've had this beta test of 20 to 30 pilots, but now we're talking about bringing hundreds and hundreds. Um, the first year we had over uh, 1,100 uh, arrivals wow. over the four days. And then last year we had over 1200. So we're hoping to, again, to break that number, um, this year. But, uh, so I, I, each one, each controller had a very similar answer. And I, I thought it was so great when I said, you know, we don't know how this is going to go. These are just a bunch of people in their flight simulators. We don't know the caliber of, of, um, of people who they're going to understand the, at the time it was still called the notum, um, and, and follow the procedures correctly. And I, I'll back up one time before I say that is that one thing that put the biggest smile on my face after all the work that went into this in 2020 was when we released the NOTAM. Um, and I think we released it at the same time as the scenery as well. Um, this was you know a week or two before the event. And you could look on the Pilot Edge live map. And I remember seeing 10 or 12 airplanes just flying the procedure on their own. And, you know, there was no ATC out there at the time. This was well before the event, mm-hmm. but the, the NOTAM, you know, our version of the NOTAM, which mirrors the EAA version, it's just, you know, it's got a little, a few SIM things in there as far as like, you know, you got to set your weather to clear skies and things like that. So we do, we do run our own NOTAM for now, notice the notice. Um, but it put a biggest smile on my face to see these people uh, who were just taking the time to prepare themselves um, on their own. And now those are the people who are doing it connected to the pilot. I don't know how many people did it when not connect to pilots, but um, I, that was the point which I thought to myself, this could work. I think we, this could actually, we could pull this off because, and I was so pleased to see how many people were taking this so seriously to the point where they were going to practice for the practice event. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, but anyways, back to the controllers, you know, I said, you know, we don't know how this is going to go. Um, the, the pilots, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and they all gave me the very same answer, which was, we're used to this. You know, we are used to having people who are not on frequency or not following the procedure. Um, you can go to YouTube and type in like, you know, stupid Oshkosh arrivals. And there are some <laughs> hilarious uh, tapes of people who literally 
have no idea that there is a published procedure and are just calling Oshkosh Tower like it's a regular day at the Delta. Um, and but they these these controllers are so good at what they do and they love it so much. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, the controllers who work Air Venture are actually volunteer. Well, so they're volunteering for Sim Venture. They also volunteer for Air Venture. They are using their own paid time off mm-hmm. to go up and and do this. Um, this is you know the equivalent of of taking a week off of vacation as far as what they they accrue. So you know it is it is paid leave. However. Uh, it's not free leave. They're using the same leave they'd use to, um, you know, to go on a, a vacation to Maui or something. So it's really impressive. And it, it it creates the environment that is AirVenture, where you have every single controller is just an aviation nut. And they all love airplanes. They all love what they do. And I think that's what creates such a supportive environment, where mm-hmm. if there's someone going down the tracks and they're not listening to anyone and they're going the wrong way, uh, the controllers just know to work around them, and because and realistically, you can't get they they can't get held up on that one guy because there are you know there are five hundred airplanes behind them that they have to still work. So they just end up kind of letting that guy do his thing, and they just will work the traffic <laughs> around them. So, anyways, we it it becomes a very similar. It translates very well to SimVenture, um, where again, thankfully, the pilot compliance is. I mean, I would call it ninety nine percent. It is very, very impressive and very good. So, you know, uh, kudos to people who have flown SimVenture who may be listening. And, and if you haven't, um, I guess the bar has been set high. No, I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> want to intimidate anyone at all. Um, I want everyone to try SimVenture um, because it is it is the most fun you will have in your flight simulator. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, long, long way of saying that the controllers will deal with um, any sort of issues in in a very professional manner by just kind of working the traffic around and they'll talk to you and they'll try and talk you down um, in the best way that they can. And I did mention, I would touch on the everyday pilot edge way of that too, the answer. And and that is that the controllers have a, a fine line to walk on pilot edge, everyday operations, non-SIM venture, where um, they have to wear several hats. They're wearing the hat of an air traffic controller to simulate the national airspace system. However, they're also wearing a light hat of a very minor flight instructor. They're certainly not, not actually, some of them actually are flight instructors, but not all of them. It's not a, not a requirement, but they all do know the basics of flying and what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so, you know, if you, um, if you bust the Bravo um, on a normal day on pilot edge, you're going to hear about it the same way you would in the national airspace system. And that's not to embarrass you. That's not to make you feel like the controllers are, um, are mean. It's, it's to simulate what you would hear if you were to do that at LAX um, in a real airplane. And the purpose behind that is for, is for training. We as humans learn so well from mistakes. And what better way to make a mistake than do it in the sim? Um, the purpose behind the controller telling you you violate Los Angeles Bravo airspace flighting 180 immediately to exit the Bravo is that you have this oh crap moment of of I can't believe this happened. If I was in the real airplane, like this would have happened and I would have busted Bravo because I didn't realize that the shelf went here or whatever it might be. So you get your mistakes out in the sim and you can't take it personally. Um, but at the same time, the controllers will also do a little bit of an instruction. You know, if they have the time, they might say, you know, you might realize that that shelf north of this VOR goes down to 4,500. You know, you got to watch for things like that. 
Um, they can't do too much instruction because it doesn't scale well with them instructing every single airplane on mm-hmm. frequency, but they'll do it when they can. And um, so they, you know, they wear a little bit of an instructor hat, but also try and simulate the NAS as well as possible. Yeah. And, and that goes a little bit into some of the people that use pilot edge. So I know that just like our show, our, our show, most of our listeners are everything from student pilots to commercial pilots, military pilots to enthusiasts, people that work in the aviation industry in uh, ground roles um, or or just that are interested in aviation. And that's a little bit of the the, the main pilot edge group, right? It's a little bit of of everybody, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of people think that pilot edge is only for GA or only for VFR flying. Um, that's not the case. And the reason that, you know, there obviously you've got networks like Fatsim out there that are far more airliner jet heavy um, and, and very little VFR, um, let alone GA. And uh, then you have Pilot Edge, which is very heavy VFR, very heavy GA. I shouldn't all say VFR, but there are plenty of IFR GA pilots on Pilot Edge, but very heavy, smaller airplane general aviation. Um, and, and the real reason, in my opinion, that that happens is just because of the ca- of the uh, the type of person who is going to be willing to pay $19.95 a month for Pilot Edge. It's not necessarily the uh, you know person who is just a hobbyist um, and just likes flying the 737. Um, and they might not be willing to pay $19.95 a month, and that's fine. But someone who is willing to pay $19.95 a month is someone who recognizes the benefit of of a flat rate $19.95 a month for unlimited usage for the entire month to be able to practice for countless hours and something that would cost you thousands and thousands of dollars in the actual airplane. So I think that's really where that, um, that differentiation comes from there. And and to, you know, hobbyists who just like flying the 737 or 747, they don't, they have a lot of them don't even know how to fly VFR. They don't even know how to fly a traffic pattern. And that's fine. That's not to say that they're, they're doing anything bad. That's, you know, that's what Vatsum is for. That's what their hobby is. Um, But you, you know, you run into an issue sometimes where, you know, on pilot edge, you're kind of expected to be able to uh, kind of be on the network at your own level. Um, you know, no mm-hmm. one's going to say anything. If you're messing up and assess the 172 and you're just trying to fly the pattern, um, you're doing your best and you're, you're in your well in your um, realm of where you should be. But if you are making, you know, huge mistakes in a 747 trying to fly, you know, IFR, um, that's a problem. You know, you got to kind of take a step back. So, you know, we just kind of say, don't bite off more than you can chew. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say you shouldn't push yourself because you have to push yourself when you're training. Um, but make sure that you're having a, a true purpose behind what you're doing and don't skip a bunch of steps and go straight for the 747. Yeah. Especially for, uh, student pilots and even folks that are getting back into flying, you know, rusty pilots and, and, inst- and instrument student pilots. This is, it's such a great way to get it. I mean, one of the, the whole push and pull and left and right and trees get bigger, trees get smaller. That's the easy <laughs> part of flying. The, one of the hardest things, and I think one of the, 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 the aspects of aviation that people fear the most is the communication part of it, mm-hmm. because it is, it's its own language. Sure. And this is just such a great way to, to get more comfortable with that safety level, isn't it? It is. And it's something, you know, Mike fright is the the term that's used a lot. And it's, mm-hmm. it's something Mike fright is something that it, every pilot has had to get over to at some point in their careers. And 
that's what the networks like VatSim or Pilot Edge do: is allow people to put on a headset and actually talk to a bu- or actually talk to a person by pressing mm-hmm. a button. And it's something that happens in your brain there, where uh, it really changes your whole dynamic of knowing that someone is listening to you, and not just one, but multiple people, whether pilots or multiple controllers, whatever it might be. Um, and it really just changes things for the better, though. It's it's it changes things in that it makes it more more real. Um, it, it it makes you more accountable. And you know, Vatsim is a is a great platform. But the problem that you have with it, especially from a, an efficient training perspective, is that the you know the spottiness of the air traffic control, um, whether it be the quality or the the where the coverage exists. Um, you know, it, it's a hobbyist network, and it's great for for that. Um, and there's no question you can have a fantastic experience on VATSIM. Some of their events are, are huge. Um, and they, um, you know, they have a ton of controllers and there are many great controllers on VATSIM, but there are also some who are just kind of hobbyists and there's really no sort of QA, QC process behind them. So, um, from a, you know, from a flight training efficiency perspective, you can't just hop on VATSIM every night at the same time and know that, you're going to get great service. Um, whereas on Pilot Edge, 15 hours a day, seven days a week, 363 days a year, they are there for you where you expect, where and when you expect them to be. And you always know the service is going to be top notch. Yeah. And one of the things we were talking about on the last episode, you mentioned the geographic area and the coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was just my assumption. But for me, so uh, Pilot Edge basically covers from Colorado, Wyoming, you know, the whole line down to New Mexico and mm-hmm. West out to California with the, the real focus being, uh, California. Um, did you guys do that? So your controllers would have the same level of familiarity with the instrument procedures, the waypoints, the airways, as you would find in the real world. So the reason the coverage area exists, uh, where it does, where it does. And, and this is one thing, you know, this is one of the most frequently asked questions is, you know, about expansion and when are you guys going to cover Florida or New York or Europe? Um, and the reason that, well, before I say the reason, um, founder and CEO, Keith Smith, he himself lives in New Jersey. Um, he has an airplane that he based has, it has based up at a, an airport in the New Jersey area. So I think it's what I'm about to say is so telling because, the man himself who created this network chose to put it on the other side of the country. And what the point I'm getting at is, is that it doesn't matter where you fly because the FAA has standardized everything for you. Uh, Whether it's a sectional chart or an instrument approach procedure, everything is the same phraseology, runway markings. um, It's all the same, regardless of where you are in the country. And even, you know, even a lot of that, regardless of where you are in the world, you know, I recognize that, that there are some diff- procedural differences if you go, you know, to Europe or, or the United States. Or, um, but overall, the phraseology is very similar. Um, you know, the, you can make out, you know, their version of the chart just fine. You know, it might take you a little bit longer than what you're used to. But overall, especially when we're just talking about domestically, you know, we're in the United States. Um, I always tell people that, you know, A, you're a pilot. Surely you don't want to just fly to <laughs> the, the same airport over and over for the rest of your life. Um, and then B, um, if you make a mistake, I'm talking real world aviation, and the FAA gives you a call, 
Um, saying, oh, I'm sorry, it was my first time to that airport is not an excuse. Mm-hmm. They're not going to say, oh, well, okay, if it was your first time, we'll, we'll let that one slide. Um, you know, obviously, if that was the case, there would be mistakes all the time um, with, with people, you know, just, I should say, I should say that, it, let me rephrase that. If, uh, if that were, if being a first time, if making a mistake the first time was, was common because of the, of airports having so many different procedural, uh, different procedural, um, you know, uh, habits than the other airports, then yeah, it would be, that would be an, ex- an excuse. But realistically you have these, you know, pilots who get hired by the airlines or whatever, and they're, they are flying to so many airports mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, and you know, it's just, it's, it's normal. They don't have to think about, oh man, you know, I'm nervous. I'm going here for the first time. Um, it's just everything standardized. So the same thing happens if you live in Florida or New York, you can fly out in California or Denver, San Francisco, you know, wherever it might be, um, with, you know, using the exact same phraseology and procedures that you use at your home airport. You know, I recognize that every airport does have a few things that are slightly different, but it's not enough to hinder your training. Um, furthermore, you know, the pilotage community has a discord, um, you know, all of our social media, uh, forums, even if you want to go old school with the forums, you can, you know, you can make contact with people and say, Hey, you know, I fly out of XYZ airport in North Carolina, and I'm looking for a comparable airport in the coverage area. Hmm. Um, you know, there are over 80 towered airports in the pilotage coverage area and thousands of non-towers. So oftentimes, you know, if someone says, Hey, I fly out of, you know, whatever it is, North Carolina, you know, a class Delta with runways, you know, two, one and three. And, um, you know, what's a good, uh, uh, you know, it, it sits right outside of the, you know, Bravo, whatever, you know, what's a good air. And so we can help you because they're 80 plus towered airports. We can help you try and find something. Oh, you know, uh, Santa Monica airport might be a good option for mm-hmm. you because it sits right outside of LAX. It's got the runway two, one, three configuration. And, um, you know, you'll get that same sort of style of, of, you know, feeling of, of being close to the Bravo yet in the Delta and with that runway configuration. So my point is that it really doesn't matter where you're simming. Um, what does matter is that the, the quality of, of coverage and service in which you're receiving. Yeah. And I'll, I'll completely agree with that. The, the, the diversity of airports in your coverage area is pretty much representative of, of everything and that you could... That, Yes. And, and sorry, I guess I never really circled back to the, the point about, you know, so, so Keith um, did choose, you know, where the coverage area exists because of the diversity. That's exactly the right word to use is it's got the coastal flying mountainous flying, um, you know, flatland desert, um, you know, it's very uh, intricate uh, procedures. Uh, obviously the LA area has some great VFR procedures that are very complex that you can get some, some really good practice with um, LAX Bravo and the San Diego Bravo are very non-standard shapes, similar to what you'd see around JFK. So, you know, it's not your typical wedding cake circle. Um, it is very jagged. It's got shelves everywhere. So you really get some good practice on pre, um, flight planning, looking at charts, everything yeah. like that, um, thanks to that airspace. I had, when I was transitioning from military aviation to civil aviation, I had never heard of a, of a TEC route, a tech route. Oh, uh, sure. Right. And and the, and it was on Pilot Edge that I think I filed something between two airports. And um, and that is how it goes. So you file it. You can file it through a, through a, a third party like Simbrief or something like that. Or you could just go through the mm-hmm. Pilot Edge um, either website or, or anything. But you log on, you file your flight plan, just like you would a real IFR flight plan or a VFR flight plan. And, and something came back or someone came back and said, hey, you know, there, there's a better 
you know, there's a TEC route <laughs> that goes between, you know, Hawthorne and Santa Barbara right. or whatever sure. it was. I'd never heard of it. And I've been flying for 20 I years. I don't think you're alone though. <laughs> I, you know, tech routes are, um, and it stands for tower and route control. Um, and the tech routes are uh, not all that common. You know, if you live in the Midwest or even just, you know, you're just kind of flying, um, you're, it's really, they're really only used in the very high density metro, um, you know, areas, mm-hmm. LA, San Francisco, New York. Um, honestly, I don't know if Florida has any, um, but you know, they're, they're around, but unless you have true experience flying in one of these very populated, yeah. very dense areas, you probably wouldn't know about it because there's no reason that you should. Yeah. And, and so you've mentioned Keith a couple of times. So Keith mm-hmm. and I both share the, the Lancer 360. He had a, a, oh, a cool. real great product that is also, there's a link on your website to the real, mm-hmm. real world coast to coast. Um, yes. and I had, I had owned my Lancer for a couple months and, and, I found Keith's, uh, that's actually the first, the first way that I found Pilot Edge. I found okay. his, um, his real world coast to coast. And I said, man, nobody is crazy enough to fly a Lancer 360 IFR coast to coast. No way. And, <laughs> and, and this is just a complete sort of digression from, from Pilot Edge, but it's, but it is related. Mm-hmm. And um, he experienced everything and documented. I mean, there was yeah. icing, there was all kinds of yeah. different, you know, he, he had quite the adventure. It was an adventure and it was great to to just watch and then kind of watch it again a second and a third time going, wow, you know, and and I we actually shared that amongst the Lancer community saying, hey, it is possible. Um, here's, you know, here's some challenges of, of doing that. But but going back to Keith, t- tell me a little bit about how the how the company started, you know, his vision and and right. Yeah. So Keith was a Vatsim member. Actually, he was on the board of governors um, back in, you know, pre, I don't know, this was probably 2004 ish, 2008, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, he was a high up. I can't, can't recall his exact title, but uh, you know, he was always, he was always big on the virtual ATC stuff. He, he reckoned and flight mm-hmm. simulators as a whole, he recognized um, the problem that had to be solved, which was that flight simulators did not have a, a good ATC option. And you know, they, they do their best with the text and stuff, but, um, you know, you really need an actual person. And so Vatsim obviously did that for, for many years, but then, you know, Keith's whole thing was this, there should be a, a service like Vatsim, but one, you know, which has, um, you know, one where, like I was saying before, where people can rely on the quality and coverage of service. And that, because mm-hmm. anyone who's flown Vatsim knows that, you know, the, uh, you know, you get the plane all pre all, all briefed and loaded up and you're ready to taxi. And then the controller says, all right, I'm signing off. Have a good night. And now you've just, you know, wasted 30 minutes of your time. And now you're just flying alone. You might as well just not even be on the internet at all. Um, and you don't get that with, with pilot edge, obviously the, the pilot, the controllers are, are there, like I said, 15 hours a day and, um, on a schedule. So, you know, that they are there and you know where they're going to be. Um, and then obviously, you know, little intricacies too, like the, the frequency system is all real world. There's no, there's no frequency, um, you know, there's no controller uh, box where you have to look and see, okay, he's online, he's online. No, you just pull up your FAA charts, whatever it is, and, and call ground yeah, and clearance and tower. And it all routes to the appropriate controller. The voice system is incredibly complex. Um, additionally, the the terrain and distance modeling is all modeled. So if you you get too far from the transmitter, it'll start getting static, and then um, it'll eventually cut out. Uh, little things like that that are really what what puts Pilot Edge apart. Getting briefly back into Sim Venture is that uh, the wing rocks are all 
Um, you know, it, it's, it's the, the controllers are able to see the, the airplane rocking its wings. Um, so, you know, it's, we have the technology to do these things and that's why, you know, that's why, um, it, you know, the, the people are, you know, Keith does the majority of the coding, um, and he's, he's brilliant at that. And he's able to, you know, source people to do some other things if he's unable or too busy to, to get some things done. But, uh, there's really, I don't think there's ever been something in which I have heard him say, no, we, you know, I, it's not possible to do that. Um, you know, there's, there's technology as, as far as uh, runway detection technology. So, uh, on pilot edge, you won't get someone starting on a runway, spawning on a runway, because if you try and connect to pilot edge while you're on a runway, it will not let you. So little things like that, that, um, I, that, I remember back in the day when that was just a, a rule that please don't do this. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and we've since, yeah, we've since, you know, he has since built technology to make it so you cannot uh, do that. And it, it, uh, yeah, it just makes it all the better because it's just always, you know, creates a problem. And this, this kind of makes it so people learn right off the bat if they try and do right. it like, Oh, nope, can't do that. So uh, yeah, the, the technology is is really kind of what what the technology and the controllers are what sets Pilot Edge apart, and that's what makes people willing to pay for it too, because they they know the service um, is going to uh, be what they're expecting every single day. Yeah, well, I want to start wrapping up. There's there's a couple. One thing that that I always wondered is so we know as as simmers mm-hmm. what we see from Microsoft Flight Simulator mm-hmm. or X Plane. This, there's this huge, it's like the, the, like the wizard of Oz behind a, behind a screen. <laughs> what is it? How does it, how is it presented to the controllers? Um, how, how are you guys able to, to, to do all that, to do real world frequencies, to do mm-hmm. um, maybe, maybe not the wing rock, but on, on day-to-day pilot edge. Yeah. just um, did, Yeah. Yeah. How so- is it presented to the controllers? Yeah, so the the day to day pilot edge controllers are using a, a radar tech, uh, a radar software um, that that simulates what a radar would be, and there's uh, the reason that that is, um, you know, because the simulation is not for the controllers. That the controllers could, uh, since they are, you know, they're paid employees, they can really, you know, be told to do whatever Keith and, and the company is going to tell them to do and use. But the reason that it has to be some sort of simulated radar technology of which it's, it's a very good simulated radar with data blocks and everything that, I mean, it's really what it would look like if you went to go tour a Tracon or something. And the reason it has to be that way is so that they can, they can uh, adequately simulate the national airspace system. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, things like your transponder is on standby instead of, you know, uh, mode C. And so therefore you're not going to show up with a, with a secondary return. So therefore, the controller cannot see your altitude. You know things like that. Where um, if that technology was not in place, the controller was not using a um, a radar screen, and it was just you know some sort of pseudo whatever it would be to to do still do the job. Um, they might not correct you on that, and you know in, instead of the appropriate November one two three squawk normal or squawk mode C, they would just not even mention it, mm-hmm. and they would just go about their way. So having a simulated radar allows them to do and see things like a real controller would, which allows them to simulate the job of a real controller. Um, and you know, that's everything from the minimum vectoring altitudes to uh, the airspace boundaries. Um, like I said, the data blocks and the, the, the position target, um, you know, everything is, is very realistic on their side. Uh, the yeah. only thing they really, the only thing that they really don't display is any sort of weather. 
Um, they don't show weather like a controller would see on the radar. And that's just because everyone in the sim has has mm -hmm. such different weather. And the controllers will always go off of real world weather unless you tell them you have information Zulu, which is basically a code word for I'm using my own weather. Um, but as far as depicted precipitation that a normal controller would see, they don't just because every sim, even if you take two versions of X-Plane and have them on both on match real world conditions, the way it's going to render the um, the thunderstorm might be slightly different from one to another for some reason. And so therefore it's just, it's too hard and especially cross platform, you know, FS2020 mm -hmm. and X-Plane, uh, it would just be so inaccurate that they'd be calling weather that would just be very, uh, more of a nuisance than anything because it'd be so inaccurate. So yeah. that's really the only thing they don't, don't see, but other than that, it's very realistic on their end. So how does somebody get started? Um, what, what kind of computer requirements, what kind of, you know, similar, uh, what simulators do you support peripheral requirements? Sure. Like so pilot edge supports, uh, the four, the four big Sims that are still, or I shouldn't say they're still, but you know, <laughs> that people use, which, you know, the two big ones are X plane 11, Microsoft lights in 2020. Uh, behind that would be Lockheed Martin's prepared. And then finally, there are still some users using FSX, uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator X. And so you just need one of those four SIMs. Um, and as far as getting started for computers and such, um, I mean, gosh, if you're using FSX, you could use really any computer on the market these days. Uh, if you're using FS2020, not so much. You, you're going to need to drop a, a decent amount for a good gaming computer. Uh, X-Plane 11 is, is generally more uh, friendly on the computer specs, but uh, Pilot Edge also does have some resources to get you set up and going with flight simulators as a whole. So if you are listening to this and, and thinking, man, you know, flight simulators sound pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I think I want to get into it. Uh, you could just, you know, go over to pilotedge.net um, and uh, well, maybe even shoot a, shoot an email over to uh, like info at pilotedge.net or even stop by Pilot Edge's discord, just uh, pilotedge.net slash discord. You can inquire there. There are some resources that um, we can get you set up with some some experts who can actually help you one-on-one -on -one and get you exactly what you need within your price range as well. Um, but if you, yeah, if, and if you already have a flight simulator, just pilotedge.net, there's um, some very, uh, it's very easy to sign up. Everyone gets a two-week free trial, by the way, too. So uh, I shouldn't say two weeks. It's it's two weeks or five hours of network connectivity. Mm -hmm. So whatever comes first. Um, so if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you're a simmer, uh, and you haven't tried Pilot Edge, maybe the, the money is what throws you or or uh, the coverage area isn't at your home airport. You've got nothing to lose by going and, and signing up for, for the free trial. You'll get five hours to try it out and uh, you'll you'll get to see what, what it's all about. And uh, SimVenture is good for the free trial too, or I say in the reverse, the free trial is good for SimVenture too. So uh, if you, let's see, uh, you know, we're, we're, at the point where they're recording this, we're, we're just, just about two weeks inside of, uh, of when SimVenture yeah. starts. So I'd recommend maybe waiting until about uh, July 7th or 8th. And that'll, that'll put you two weeks from the end of SimVenture to give you, um, you know, the most amount of time in your trial with five hours, that should be enough time to get at least two to three approaches in, if not more. That's great because that's exactly when this uh, interview will air. Great. <laughs> um, Kevin, listen, uh, so we always finish with one question and you okay. are in the aviation industry. Um, this is interesting. I've never asked from a simulator standpoint because you were, you said you were mm -hmm. a simmer also, right? Yes. Huh. So if you could fly any airplane in the world, past, present, Ooh. future, uh, money was no object, 
what airplane would that be? Man, that's a tough one. Um, gosh, you know, going through my head, it's it's like, you know, something like an F-35 would be so cool, right? But then again, <laughs> um, you know, I've always thought that, you know, throttling up the engines on like a, a 777 or an A350, I mean, just have all that power in your, in uh, the power in the size, I guess, right? Of course, like right. a, an F-35 has a ton of power too, but the power in the size and just have that all in the in the palm of your hands is, is pretty cool. Um, and then again, you know, you've got some, some beautiful jets, like, you know, the Falcons have an X and things like that too. So that's a really tough one. I, I think it, it really kind of just depends on, uh, on what, what it is, but my, I think my favorite airliner is, is the A350. Oh, I, I, uh, I saw it demoed back in air venture 2014. I think it was, it was kind of right when it was about to hit the market and Airbus flew one over and it, um, it did a full on demo with steep turns and things like that. And it, it's just really like, man, that thing is, that thing is cool. Um, so I guess, I guess I'll go with a three fifty. Yeah. I thought you were going a very non-committal route. I was like going to call you out on it, but no, that's an excellent choice. (laughs) Hey, listen, I know you're super busy, especially leading up to SimVenture. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And I wish you nothing but the best. And and thank thank you you for your involvement in Pilot Edge because I know it's helped me. It's helped a lot of my friends out, especially on the communication side of this. uh, So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, Dave, that was, was good, good, wasn't it? Hey, we were just saying, yeah. Well, as usual, a phenomenally good interview. Um, but we haven't got any military this week. But actually, this sort of, <laughs> um, well, kind of made up for it. And as Dirk says in the uh, chat room, this interview could have been a podcast episode all on, on its own. But I'm glad we played it out in, in one go, actually. We were thinking about perhaps chopping it into two and, mm. and playing it over a couple of weeks. But in fact, uh, as it's turned out, I think it was really nice to uh, hear it all on its own. And thanks to Kevin and for Armando for doing that. It was absolutely yeah, phenomenal, yeah. wasn't it? Gosh. It is it's a massive community, the whole city yeah. community and stuff like that. And um, it's it's with the cost of learning to fly, I think more and more people now are switching Nev to... Yeah. Um, to using um, home sims or borrowing other people's sims at home to, to hone their skills when they're trying to fly. Oh yeah, of course, and the, reali- the realism these days is phenomenal, isn't it? Uh, so uh, yeah, re- really, really interesting, and uh, I'm glad that uh, he did that. That was fascinating, I thought. Yeah. So we are going to oh, go on to the next part of the show, which is our Caption This Picture uh, for this week. Now, it's safe to say that this week's Caption This Picture created quite a lot of traction on Facebook. Uh, for those of you who don't know, every Wednesday we put pop a picture up on our Facebook page uh, of something comical to do with aviation. And uh, we get you guys and girls to comment on your best, funniest and wittiest comments. And uh, this week's picture, I'll, we'll uh, hand over to Nev in a moment, but this week's picture sparked quite some comments, some of which didn't quite make it to air for this show because we would end up with a slightly higher rating than the current uh, PG rating that uh, the show has got. But Nev, uh, what is this week's caption, this picture? Uh, yes, it's the picture that I took uh, out of the window of the uh, gate C27 at uh, Copenhagen Airport on uh, Wednesday afternoon showing uh, the A320 uh, being covered in foam that I was about to get onto uh, to come back to London. And um, yes, I, uh, so we've had to be uh, 
um, a bit careful with some of these comments. We've had to edit a few hours, I'm afraid, uh, which we can't read out in full on the show. Um, but uh, no, very, very, uh, very amusing, I think. Yes, I'll pop that on the picture. I'll pop the picture on the screen for those of you watching in YouTube world. You'll be able to see the picture there. There it is in all its glory. Uh, what's that? Golf Echo Uniform Uniform Victor? Yes. And uh, as we said, we've had some comments galore on this picture. So um, I'll kick off with the first comment from... This one's from Kieran. And uh, Kieran says, Next time, let's use the automatic drive-through wash. <laughs> and Excellent. Uh, John says, BA passengers disappoint with airport firefighters. Uh, poor hose technique. Whilst performing, you can leave your hat on the full body <laughs> at the captain's foam party. <laughs> John Max or John said uh, so he uh, so he said just add washing up liquid and it'll be fine that is kind of what happens when you do <clears throat> go a bit over the top of the washing up liquid I never yes the next comment is I would say right on the edge of um, decency just uh, Jake says we've all been there men sometimes planes can, can get a bit too exciting for us <sighs> Oh dear! <laughs> nearly, nearly, nearly hit the rating. Then uh, this one is from Sturman, who was in the chat room earlier. Uh, Sturman says, uh, "When I said you can go to the toilet on the plane, I didn't mean Ugh, just wash it off before the boss spots it." <laughs> <laughs> um, Dirk says, uh, "Caution, jet wash." Well, that, that is true. See what that is true. Done. See what yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, James says, uh, "No, that's what I call a jet stream." Ha <laughs> uh, Richard says uh, BA101 from Ibiza has landed. Oh, hark to the days of the phone parties now. The phone party, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ian says, <laughs> must be a friend of yours, Mr. Bounds. Uh, Ian yeah. says, Nev opens the champers in the first lounge again. Yes, absolutely. Um, Bill says, uh, Another catering engine option installation, CEO, reference from last week, has a cream frother malfunction. Uh, fire service personnel unable to get their lattes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You can tell he watches the show. Look, uh, Neil says, uh, did you ask for the number five jet wash or just the foam wash? Mm -hmm. what, do you, do, what do you go for in the, uh, in the, in the car wash, Nev? Or are you a well, hand wash man? I, if I do go to uh, automatic, well, it's not, actually, it's a hand car wash I Top. use oh, yeah. uh, just down the road if I don't do it myself. But I normally clean it myself. But oh, I, I would, yeah, I would probably go for number five. Yeah. And uh, who's got the last one then, Nev? Finally, from Stuart, he says, this is going to cost more than the price of a first-class stamp. It's a Royal Mail plane. Oh. And it is indeed. It is That's a Royal Mail plane. The aircraft that carries the mail to and from. Uh, so let's have a look. Have we have we got any uh, first class oh, comments in the, the chat room, Nev? Let's have a look. Well, we normally end up with a few, don't we? Um, and uh, <laughs> not sure we can read Richard's one out, but um, there's others. Uh, well, one of the ones he says is, uh, "Thank you for coming to Copenhagen." Um, uh, and uh, other comments uh, well that's just plain dirty and uh, Richard also says Captain they've engaged the chemtrails 20,000 feet too early that's good that is good like so that. yes uh, we're never short of uh, excellent comments but um, having now set the bar a little bit higher this week we're going to have to try and do 
even better next week, aren't we? With um, with with more comedy. That we are. I'm just uh, there. We go. Is that audio any better? We've still got still got the audio issues. I think. Never have we in uh, in the world of. Uh, uh, no, I think it's okay. Actually, is it okay? Think, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, seems to be, seems to be better. Oh, good, good. That's fine. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, social media links then, Nev. Just in case uh, anyone uh, wonders where we're hiding on social media, and we've also got some uh, new mugs. I'll pop that picture up in a moment. Oh, nice. Yeah, that'll be good. Uh, so, socials: uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Plain Talking UK. Uh, our WhatsApp number, which uh, gets you the possibility of sending us pictures straight through to the studio, um, is plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can email us at the show. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. Com. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Uh, you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room, as many people do regularly. Uh, go to YouTube.com for that and search for Plain Talking UK. Well, that is where we're going to bring episode 418 of the show to a close. Uh, so, well, if anyone can hear me... <laughs> I hope to see you all again next, uh, well, next Friday on the show. Uh, so from me, Carlos here in a very warm and, uh, well, interesting PTUK studios. And from you as well, Nev, say goodbye and I shall, uh, well, I shall hit, hopefully, hopefully hit the uh, right button here and say goodnight everyone. So say goodnight everyone, Nev. 